Welcome to episode 27 of the Pixel Powered Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen, and this week we're going to take a look at Android Q Beta 4. You may remember back in episode 18, we took a look at Android Q Beta 1 when it was first released, and we did that by way of just reviewing what features we found were available by reviewing online articles, blog posts, and content from Google. Today, though, I want to let you know and that I have installed Android Q Beta 4 on my Pixel 3 XL, and I've been using it for about two weeks now. And this episode will tell you my experiences using Android Q Beta 4. I mentioned back in episode 18 that it would take quite a few more beta cycles beyond beta one for me to actually give it a go and to use Android Q in beta form as a daily driver. I decided to wait until beta four and I'm actually glad I did. However, I did have to be careful because there were some quirks with the installation of beta four for some Android and Pixel phone users. In my particular experience, I had no problems installing beta four, but some people found that their phones would lock up and would be in a constant reboot process. Again, I'm glad I didn't have that experience because it didn't taint what I feel is an excellent version of Android coming forward. Let's begin by talking about how you too can install beta four, and then I'm going to end talking about whether we should. Just because we can, doesn't mean we should. For those who are curious and interested and wanna give this a shot, here's how you can install Android Q Beta 4. First of all, you need to enroll in the Android Q Beta program by visiting the Android Beta program page. Now, I do have a, a link to that page in the show notes. And when you link to that page, you need to verify first that your device is eligible. Luckily, if you're logged in already using your Google account, if your device is eligible, it will go ahead and pop up and say, your Pixel device is eligible. As of now, all Pixel devices are eligible to enroll in the Android beta program. Once you select to join the Android beta program, then what you're going to do is you're going to visit settings and you're going to go to system update. After you've joined and visited systems update, you should see that you have a new download waiting. Go ahead and get that started and that will take some time. Even on a high speed connection, it will take a while. It is a full complete installation of Android on your phone, completely replacing version nine, which was the previous version. While you're actually updating, why don't you go ahead and head on and over on another device and visit the Android beta program Reddit community where you can start to learn more about the nuances of the new beta. A link for that is also in my show notes. It's important to note that after the beta period that you are now enrolled in, your Pixel will begin to receive the regular stable releases and the regular monthly security patches. So you won't just remain on the Android beta program. When the Goldmaster is released, you'll receive that version and you'll be on a stable version and then your beta process will stop at that point. Now, if you decide that you don't like beta Q, you can revisit the page and disenroll. However, you need to remember that if you disenroll, you will completely wipe your phone. So you wanna make sure that you have a complete backup and that you're prepared to go back to the old version and restore your data. Now that we have beta four installed, what I wanna do is I wanna talk about the features I noticed immediately during my last two weeks using this new version of Android. These are things that I either saw immediately new tweaks, new ways in which you use the phone, or just generally new features. I wanna start 
by first talking about the visual tweaks. The first thing you're gonna notice is that there is an updated font throughout the operating system, throughout the user interface. It's a cleaner font, it's a smoother font, it looks better on the screen. You do notice it immediately, it is kind of jarring because it is a different font. The other thing that you're going to notice is that you're gonna have updated icons in the status bar and the most noticeable of those being the Wi-Fi indicator. The Wi-Fi indicator where it used to be just like an open V, it's now filled and you start to see that filled piece of the pie fill up. There is a picture in the show notes to show that to you. If you happen to be an Ubuntu 19.04 user, it's the same icon that's used in that operating system, so you already have a good indication of what that looks like. One of the things I appreciated was a more integrated dark theme. More apps finally use the dark theming, and if you're on a Pixel device with an OLED screen, you get a beautiful screen with beautiful, nicely saturated colors. It is, a again, a good addition, and I'm glad to see dark theme rolling out instead of just rolling out piecemeal in Android 9, we see a full implementation in Android 10 or Android Q. One of the other small little tweaks that I noticed almost immediately is the small contextual rotate buttons. Those appear, especially if you're in a browser, when you've locked your rotation to a certain orientation, but you turn your phone into a different orientation. If it's locked, as you know, the screen won't rotate with it, but you'll get a small contextual rotate button. You can tap that, and then it will change the rotation lock. So instead of being landscape, it goes to portrait. And then if you rotate back, it won't rotate back automatically. You can hit the small contextual rotate button again to make it rotate back to the orientation. It's a nice little feature. It is great for those times when you go, oh, rats, I wish I had not locked my screen into that particular orientation. I've started to use it a little bit more as I've noticed it because it's such a small little icon in the lower right-hand corner. You sometimes forget about it, and sometimes I still find myself swiping and turning off rotation lock. If you've activated developer, mode, which I have on my phone, you'll also find that there's a new theme accent color and uh, theme accents occur in the status bar, the menus, the notification drawer can be changed to options uh, with colors like space, cinnamon, ocean, and orchid. And it also looks great in dark mode. Again, that is a feature that I found in developer mode, which I always run on my Pixel phone. Also included with Android Q Beta 4 is a full gesture navigation option. You do have to go into system settings to turn this on. I do have an image in the show notes to show you that particular system navigation menu item. There's actually full gestural navigation along with two button navigation and three button navigation. I chose to go all in and use the full gesture navigation. That removes all of the buttons at the bottom, except for a semi kind of home swipe button, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. So having chosen to use full gesture navigation, again, I don't have a back button. So how do you go back or use that back feature. It's a simple matter of swiping from the left edge of the screen to the right in a quick motion. When you do that, you actually get a back indication. It's like a floating arrow that appears and you will see that. This new back gesture option did come with some issues. For instance, if you are trying to use, say an application like YouTube that has a scrubber and you're trying to scrub from the beginning of the video file to somewhere in the middle towards the end, sometimes that motion of swiping from left to right will grab that back option and you'll actually go backwards 
in your screen as opposed to scrubbing forward. It can be a bit complicated. It can be a bit frustrating. I think there's a little bit of tweaking that needs to happen in order for that feature to work perfectly on pages like audio and video sites that have these scrubbing tools. It's also been said that the new back swipe feature has disabled some applications that have menu items activated by hamburger menus. I've not seen this. If you have an application you can identify, let me know. What I do like about this back swipe option is you do get this animated arrow that appears to let you know that you are getting ready to activate a back action. However, sometimes you don't see it. Sometimes you do it too quickly and you miss that, but it is a nice indicator to help. Some new gesture navigation that we have in the new beta is that we can now swipe left or right to dismiss notifications. We also have haptic feedback when selecting text. So if you are selecting text and you move a finger over text, you'll feel a slight bump over each letter. Gives you a little more precision. We can also swipe and hold up for recent applications. Remember, we don't have the recent applications button anymore for multitasking. So you swipe up and you hold and you wait for the multitasking mode to appear. This one is complicated. It's taken me a while to get used to it and I still find myself frustrated on occasion trying to list all of the current applications that are running. Because you don't have a home button, there's no long press for the Google Assistant. So now what we have to do is we have to swipe at a 45 degree angle from the bottom left to activate our assistant. That one's pretty easy, works well. I think it is preferable if we just squeeze the sides of our Pixel phone. I think you'll find that that is much easier. And then you find a couple of niceties up in the status bar. For instance, if you tap the mobile operator name in the upper right hand corner of the status bar, that will automatically load the network and internet settings. Kind of a handy little tip there. And then if you tap the date or upper left hand side of the status bar, that will load the sound settings. So a couple of quick ways to get to the network and internet settings and the sound settings. Give that a shot when you upgrade to Android Q and I think you'll find those are handy little features. I also noticed some changes to the share sheet. That's that area where you want to share either text or images from an application and you hit the share button. For instance, the first thing you will see when you tap the share button is you will notice that the most recent URL from a browser session is included automatically in the share sheet. And just below that URL, you're also going to find a couple more rows. The first row will list the four most recent individuals that you've shared information with. And the second row will be the four most recent applications that you've used to share information with. Those are handy for times when you just want to share the same thing over with the same most recent individuals and applications. And I find that it's typically the same four in both those cases, the same four individuals and the same four applications. So it works well for me. Be interesting to see if they increase that number from four to some other number like five, six, or eight. Of course, one of the things we use our phone for on a regular basis is to receive notifications from things like Twitter, from things like Facebook, our mail, our text messaging, and notifications have been enhanced in Android Q. They've been enhanced through something that is being called by Google adaptive notifications. And what that simply means is you can refine the type and amount of notifications you receive down to a specific application. So for instance, in 
let's say Facebook, there are a lot of different notifications you can receive. And you can now tailor those from the notification area without going actually into the application for notification settings itself and tailor how often you want to receive specific types of applications or if you want to receive that type of application at all. I did find it useful in cutting down my notifications and every time I get a notification now, I really think about do I need that notification in my life or can I simply get rid of it? So being able to do that right from notifications is a plus. One of the things we've always enjoyed about our Pixel phone is the always-on lock screen, and now the always-on lock screen can include weather information, and it will also include the current song playing in Spotify or in Google Play Music or other apps that support the always-on lock screen. Those are the only things I saw that were, were new in the always-on lock screen. I'm going to keep an eye on that. I, I tend to think I read something about another feature that was coming to lock screen, but I can't remember what that was or if I actually even saw that, but I'll keep an eye on that and let you know. And there are some other miscellaneous things I noticed while using Android Q. First of all, there is an option for notification bubbles. Think Facebook chat heads for apps. Not sure that all apps um, support this yet, and I have not even seen one app do this on my phone yet. So evidently this is at the application level that you need to roll out the support for these notification bubbles. Obviously Facebook chat heads, those work. Uh, it would be interesting to see if those get just kind of rolled into the whole notification bubbles. But as of now, I've not seen anything. One of the things I saw online though that looks like it could be a handy feature is if you are on a phone call, a bubble that will allow you to go back to the call, mute the call, uh, go to your speakerphone or in the call. So that would be handy if you're trying to view contents on your phone while you're in a call, you'll have this notification bubble so that you can perform these other actions. Another feature being touted, and as a matter of fact, when you first install Android Q beta, it says, do you want to set up digital well-being? This is not a feature I explored and not something I'm really interested in. What it tries to do is limit your usage of specific applications. So it allows you to set limits on application use and includes an app timer countdown in the recent applications view to let you know how much time you've set for yourself to have access to that application. I think I can control myself well enough. I don't need that, but this could be handy if you have children that you're trying to limit their amount of usage, or if you just notice that you have a problem and you're losing productivity throughout the day because you're spending too much time in Twitter or Facebook or even just your regular mail app. So you can explore digital well-being and set that up to help you be more productive through the day. One of the things I did notice that I appreciate is that location awareness can now be on only during an app being used. So it used to be that application had access to location either all the time or none of the time. But now we can say limit the location data to only when that application is the frontmost application. I think that's a great feature. I think it's a great way to turn off some of that background information. You do have to set that manually though, but Android Q does a pretty good job of saying, hey, do you want this app to have these location rights? Another feature I'm looking forward to that I have not seen is live caption, and that's live caption on any video. So any video playing, whether it's in Facebook, uh, whether it is YouTube video, whether it is Google Duo video, it will have live captioning to provide a closed caption experience at the bottom of the screen. Again, I've not had an opportunity to use it or see it, but I think that will be a welcome addition, especially to those who need that feature and may be hearing disabled. 
I spent quite a bit of time talking about Android Q's looks and usage. Let's talk a little bit about performance. I will tell you, I have not noticed any performance improvements or degradation. So I think that's a good thing. I'm not seeing uh, any significant speed enhancements and I've not really noticed anything slowing down. My phone appears to be working just as it was with version nine. However, that doesn't mean that it doesn't come with some issues. So let me take a few minutes here and talk about some of the issues I found. There was an issue with the first release of beta four that when you would download it, it would go into a loop and you could not install beta four on a device. I actually downloaded and installed during that period, but I did not experience any issues with my beta installation. Your mileage may vary. It does appear that Google understood that they had this issue, they did patch it, and then they did roll out a new updated version of beta four, so you should not have that issue anymore. If you're really concerned about the beta, Google maintains a pixel known issues page. I do have a link in the show notes. I would recommend that you review that because some of the things that you do with your phone may not be some of the things I do with my phone. Some of the apps I use will be different than the apps you use. This page will share exactly where the issues are currently and what you should be aware of before you download the beta. As I mentioned, I still am struggling a little bit with some of the new swipe gestures. Some of those work well for me, but some of them don't. For instance, I mentioned I'm having trouble with the current running applications where you scroll up halfway and it's supposed to start. That's really iffy. I don't know if I've just not worked that into my muscle memory yet, but it seems like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I do think there's some, some work that needs to be done on that gesture. And there's some other gestures, as I mentioned, that are causing some issues. And I think most people will wanna know Primarily though, has my phone locked up that I've had to reboot the phone. I have not ever had to reboot the phone. I did have a situation where I was trying to do a gesture navigation and nothing happened. So I tried it again, nothing happened. Uh, and then it appeared like the phone had simply stopped functioning. It had frozen. What was interesting though, is I simply tapped the power button, went into sleep mode, tap the power button back, unlock the phone, and then it was back to normal. I never had to reboot the phone, but that was an issue that I have had happen more than once, and I don't think it's the same gesture that's causing that issue each time. So just be aware, if you do upgrade to Beta 4, uh, try that. If, you, if it looks like the phone is locked up, go ahead and tap the power button and tap it again and see if that fixes it for you. So those are the current issues I've had. What are, what's some additional information about Beta 4 that you might need to know? If you're an app developer, I think it's important to note now that you have a lockdown API and you have an, a software development kit that's ready to begin testing and developing applications now. And I think that's the big piece that most people are waiting for. It's one of the things and one of the reasons why I waited till Beta 4 if we're to the point where they're locking down their APIs or application program interfaces and their software development kits, it's probably a pretty stable beta. So that's why I felt okay with beta four. I wasn't quite there with beta three, but I am there with beta four. And I think I'm gonna have a pretty good experience rolling all the way out to the gold master or the general public release. Developers can also push their apps to Google Play for testing with this version, which I'm looking forward to because now I can see if new updates to the apps I use are taking advantage of some of these new features in beta Q. 
Also, it's available on more Pixel phones for testing, and I will have a link in the show notes that shows you what phones can now test it. So primarily, it's been Pixel devices with a few other phone manufacturers, but with Beta 4, they've really rolled out and opened up the beta list to a lot more phone manufacturers. Something I found interesting as I was researching this episode is that Android Beta Q includes enhancements for foldable phones. Not sure that's going to be a thing anytime soon, given that the current phone manufacturers who have tried foldable phones have kind of put in the back, kind of kind of putting those in the back for a while, um, not working out well. Phones that are folding or breaking as I kind of suspected, but uh, not sure foldable phones are a thing we're going to see in 2019, maybe in 2020 as they refine the technology, but know that Android Q will be ready for foldable phones when those are released. So when can we expect a final release of Android Q? Well, if you remember, I mentioned in episode 18 that Android Q was on a six beta release schedule. So we are at beta four currently. We still have two more betas to go. I'm looking forward to downloading those and seeing what enhancements we get. And so that would put us at some time uh, a release around the late third quarter of 2019. We should have a final uh, Goldmaster ready for everyone out there for every supported phone. So we're really not far away and it's only going to be probably a couple more months before this is in general release. The question many of you are probably asking right now is, hey, Stephen, that sounds pretty cool. I get some new features. It sounds like it's not going to, my, my phone's not going to take a performance hit. Do you think I should install Beta 4 on my device? Well, let's talk about that. First of all, remember there were early issues with Beta 4 installation. So I want you to be just aware that whenever you dive into Beta land, there's something that could go wrong. Now, some of you know on my Pixelbook, I run on the beta channel. It's just where I live. I love to have the latest. I love to know a little bit about what's going on with an operating system before everybody else does. I think doing the podcast, I probably need to be there. But there are some devices I have where I do not run beta. And even if I do run beta, it's well late on into the cycle, such as my daily driver, which is the Pixel 3 XL. I will tell you, I was sweating when I was installing Android Q Beta 4. Would I get a good install? Would it work? And would it break Google Fi? In my case, there have been instances where betas will break Google Fi. And of course, Google Fi is my primary mobile carrier. So that can't break because that's what I use for work. So you just need to know you're going to be living on the edge. It's iffy if you're on a device other than a Pixel, I would suspect as well. I can't verify that. But I think if you're on a Pixel 3, I think that's a phone that they're targeting right now before the Pixel 4 is released. I think most of the bugs have been worked out and I think you're going to have an okay experience. But again, I want you to know you're going to be living on the edge and you want to be very careful. If you aren't okay with a few glitches here and there, I wouldn't recommend if you get easily frustrated by a swipe not working and that's just the kind of person you are, then let it go because there are still issues with swipe and it can get frustrating if you're using the gesture navigation. Now, however, the nice thing about that is you can turn off the gesture navigation and just have your three buttons that we've had at the bottom before. So remember, you can disable that. So maybe you'll get a little better stability than what I am experiencing with gesture navigation. However, if you like to live on the edge and experience the latest features, I feel Beta 4 is ready for you. The benefit is that you get to experience the new features for a much longer period of time 
And if you're so inclined, as, as, as I am, you can help others when they make the transition because you will have already learned about these features. And I do hope this episode has prepared you for the next version of Android Q and that you're looking forward to it. It's also my hope that you've listened to this. And even if you don't upgrade now, when you do, maybe you'll remember some of the tips and tricks I've shared with you, some of the new features, and you'll look at your phone and go, oh yeah, Stephen told me all about this. I got this. And you can get to using your Pixel phone right away in a more productive way. And that concludes episode 27 of the Pixel Power Podcast. I think now it's time to roll into our next segment, which I like to call the addendum. In this week's addendum, I have a few things I want to share with you. First of all, I ran a series on Linux on Chromebooks and Chrome OS, as you recall, that was a four-part series. I did want to bring your attention to Google's official Chromebook Developers Toolbox page. There's a link in the show notes, and it includes some really great information about getting the most out of Linux, and it's a great supplement to my series on Linux on Chrome OS, so I'd like for you to take a look at that. And it actually takes time talking about how to set up your Chromebook for specific things like developing applications or installing different versions of Linux on your Chrome OS device. It's a great page. I highly recommend it. I've been reading it, looking through it, and there's a couple of things I want to try. Also, since I last talked to you, Waze has integrated the Google Assistant into its application. This is a much requested feature and one I am so thrilled about. I use Waze as my navigation tool of choice over Google Maps just because I like the the, uh, traffic navigation information it provides, the speed trap information. And I always hated having to say, okay, Waze, or use the, I guess it was called the Waze Assistant, but now Google Assistant is built in. So now while you're driving, instead of tapping that screen to report things, you can now use the Google Assistant. For instance, you can say, hey, Assistant, report a crash, or hey, Assistant, avoid tolls, or hey, Assistant, report police, or hey, Assistant, report traffic, or hey, Assistant, show me alternate routes. And of course, we have all the other great Google Assistant commands available to play podcasts or music. So all that is now built into Waze. I can't wait to use that. I always did think that having to touch your phone to report a crash or to uh, report traffic was not the safest thing. But now that we can just tell our Google Assistant to report that for us, I think that is a much safer way to navigate using Waze. If you're a YouTube TV faithful, I hope you had the uh, luck to find in your email a message from them telling you you have free showtime until September 2nd as a reward. You do not need to really do anything to activate it. You don't need to commit to anything. And Google promises that on September 2nd, they're not going to start charging us for it. So just a little thank you and a little love from Google for being a longtime YouTube TV user. You may have read reports this week that Google is done making tablets, so there's no new Pixel Slate in the works. There probably was a Google Slate being prepared for future release, but Google is getting out of the tablet business. They did say, at least in the article I read, that they do plan to continue to work with manufacturers who are making tablets and to continue to support them. It will be interesting to see where we head with this. It does appear that 
the Pixel Books will continue to be a hardware item being produced by Google, but just the Pixel Slate will not be around, which is kind of a shame. I was looking forward to a Pixel Slate myself. I thought that'd be a great device that I could buy and get rid of my iPad and get into a completely Google experience, but it looks like I'll be keeping my iPad for a while uh, in, in uh, conjunction with my Pixel Book. So here's a little feature I noticed about my Google Home Mini or other home devices. Did you know that you can connect your Google Home Mini or your Google Home Hub, which is I think now the Nest Hub, to a Bluetooth speaker? And that when you connect to that speaker, if that speaker's in stereo, you get full stereo. So even a Google Mini that only has a mono screen or mono speaker, you can broadcast that to a Bluetooth stereo speaker system and you'll get full stereo. I have been waiting for this and thinking, why haven't we done this already? And I just happened upon that by open, opening up the Google Home app and looking through a few menus, went to the default audio device, and one of the options I noticed was connect to Bluetooth speaker. And I have this wonderful soundbar in my home that actually has a Bluetooth audio function. I connected my Google Home Mini to this soundbar with Bluetooth, and now when I play music through my Google Home Mini, I can say connect to Bluetooth and it'll connect to that device and I get full stereo, full subwoofer sound. It is glorious. You have to try it. I think there's so many people out here out there that probably don't even know this is a feature. But if you have a Google Home Mini and a good Bluetooth speaker, give that a shot. I think you're really going to appreciate it. Many of you know I'm a tick watch wearer with Wear OS and Wear OS now has proper tiles. And what I mean by that is you can now swipe from right to left on your tick watch or your Wear OS device and now you have tiles to the right. It used to be there was a single tile and generally it was the Google Fit app or on the tick watch it could be the Fit app or the tick watch health app but now we can have up to five tiles and you set those using the Wear OS app on your phone. It's a great feature. Applications do need to make tiles and I'm a little disappointed that there's only five tiles available. I, I would not mind swiping and swiping down 10 or 11 tiles to have all the information at hand that I want. But for now it's only five. I'm hopeful that Wear OS will continue this really limited rollout of these features and it will just add additional tiles beyond the five. And then something else I noticed this week while I was using my Pixel Book, and I'm not sure, maybe everybody knows this, maybe it's just me. However, did you know that if you have multiple tabs open in the Chrome browser on your Pixel Book, and I assume any other Chrome OS device, that if you take three fingers and you swipe left and right, you can quickly navigate between those open tabs. Wow, this is fast. I used to use the Alt plus number, number one, number two, number three, but I had never knew which tab was in which number. And then finally, I know some of you have been keeping up with me on my journey to 3D printing and it continues and I've been having a blast with it. Uh, there's a few things I want to share with you and much of this has been documented on my blog at www.stephencombs.com. But I did upgrade the build surface on my Ender 3, my Creality Ender 3. It now has a glass build surface. So the build surface is that part where the parts are printed to. It is a heated bed. And so I have a whole blog post about that. I also found a kitchen cutting table at Ikea. So it's a full height. It's probably about three and a half feet tall, 
uh, whatever a kitchen counter height is. And uh, it is just perfect for a 3D printer. It has wheels on it. I can roll it around. It was only $55 at Ikea, and it is the perfect 3D printing table for my environment. I also added some lights and cameras to the table so I can turn on a light. I can observe the prints using a wise cam, which is the camera that I like to use. I also this past week installed an Octopi server with a five inch LCD touchscreen on a Raspberry Pi. So an Octopi server allows you to remotely connect to your 3D printer to control it, to send files to it. So you don't have to use this micro SD card to go back and forth. I can send it to the server connected directly to my 3D printer and it'll start the print. It also gives you feedback on temperature of your print head, temperature of your bed, location, and, and even shows you the G code as it's being sent. You can even access a web stream from the printer. So it's a great feature if you have a 3D printer, you have to get a Raspberry Pi and install Octopi. And again, I added this Kunon five inch touchscreen uh, it is a wonderful device to have right on the printer. So now with a touchscreen, I can control the X, Y, and Z axis. So I have links to those pieces of equipment in the show notes if you are interested. And I've also been upgrading my printer by printing upgrades. I mean, that's, that's probably the coolest thing about having a 3D printer. You get a base 3D printer and then you start printing additional pieces to upgrade your printer. So I'll be documenting the upgrades that I made to my printer or printed for my printer. So that'll be coming in probably in the next couple of weeks, but it has been fun to kind of print upgrades for the printer. And then finally in the 3D printer front, I actually modeled my first part and it's for a retro computing project I'm working on that I'm not gonna talk about yet, but it is I think gonna be a really cool project and one I've been looking forward to. And one of the reasons, the primary reasons I got a 3D printer was for this project. But I'm also noticing having a 3D printer, I'm using it for other things. But this is the first week that I've actually modeled something and printed from scratch. Everything else has been downloading from the web uh, from a site called Thingiverse. This is where I actually modeled the part myself and printed it and it worked out perfectly the first time. Uh, I did use SketchUp to model the part. I'm thinking about using FreeCAD. Uh, to continue the modeling though, because it has better solid modeling tools and some 3D printer integration that SketchUp doesn't. So I'm trying to figure out which one I want to use, but I'll probably be documenting that on my blog as well. So those, that's kind of my experience with the 3D printer. And that actually closes out this episode's addendum segment. And this also closes out the show. So thank you so much for listening again this week. And I'll be back again soon with another episode of the Pixel Power Podcast. And thanks so much for being a listener. And remember to send the feedback. And if you want to know how to do that, just listen on and I have all the instructions you need to send me feedback. Let's talk about the numerous ways you can connect to the podcast. First of all, we have our website at www.pixelpowerpodcast.com. You can send me an email at steven at pixelpowerpodcast.com. You can even interact with me and other listeners on the Pixel Power Podcast Google group. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can view all the show notes at www.pixelpowerpodcast.com slash episodes slash the four-digit code for the episode. And be sure to leave your reviews at your favorite podcast service. 
You can also interact by leaving an audio message. You can do that by downloading the Anchor app from the Google Play Store, search for the Pixel Power Podcast, and while listening to an episode or viewing the podcast profile, you can hit the message button. Hey, don't have the app? Don't worry. Anchor.fm also has a way to do that using your web browser. Simply visit anchor.fm slash pixelpowerpodcast and then look for the button that says send voice message. You can also send your audio feedback via MP3 file via Google Docs. Simply record, upload, and share the link to the file with me via email. Thanks so much for being a listener to the Pixel Power Podcast.